0: Section twenty eight of the Myths of the New World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Krantz. The Myths of the New World by Daniel Brinton. Chapter eleven. Part one. The influence of the native religions on the moral and social life of the race. Natural Religions Hitherto Considered of Evil Rather Than of Good Distinctions to be Drawn Morality Not Derived from Religion The Positive Side of Natural Religions and Incarnations of Divinity Examples Prayers as Indices of Religious Progress Religion and Social Advancement Conclusion Drawing toward the conclusion of my essay, I am sensible that the vast field of American mythology remains for most part untouched, that I have but proof that it is not an absolute wilderness, pathless as the tropical jungles which now conceal the temples of the race, but that, go where we will, certain landmarks and guideposts are visible. Revealing uniformity of design and purpose, and refuting by their presence the oft-repeated charge of entire incoherence and aimlessness. It remains to examine the subjective power of the native religions, their influence on those who held them, and the place they deserve in the history of the race. What are their merits, if merits they have? What their demerits? Did they purify the life and enlighten the mind, or the contrary? are they in short of evil or of good the problem is complex its solution most difficult the author who of late years has studied most profoundly the savage races of the globe expresses the discouraging conviction their religions have not acted as levers to raise them to civilization they have rather worked and that powerfully to impede every step in advance in the first place by ascribing everything unintelligible in nature to spiritual agency and then by making the fate of man dependent on mysterious and capricious forces not on his own skill and foresight it would ill accord with the theory of mythology which i have all along maintained if this verdict were final but in fact these false doctrines brought with them their own antidotes at least to some extent and while we give full weight to their evil let us also acknowledge their good. By substituting direct divine interference for law, belief for knowledge, a dogma for a fact, the highest stimulus to mental endeavor was taken away. Nature to the heathen is no harmonious whole swayed by eternal principles, but a chaos of causeless effects, the meaningless play of capricious ghosts. He investigates not because he doubts not, all events are to him miracles. Therefore his faith knows no bounds, and those who teach that doubt is sinful must contemplate him with admiration. The damsels of Nicaragua, destined to be thrown into the seething craters of volcanoes, went to their fate, says Pascual de Andagoya, happy as if they were going to be saved, and doubtless believing so. The subjects of a Central American chieftain, remarks Oviedo, look upon it as the crown of favors to be permitted to die with their cacique and thus to acquire immortality the terrible power exerted by the priests rested as they themselves often saw largely on the implicit and literal acceptance of their dicta in some respects the contrast here offered to enlightened nations is not always in favor of the latter borrowing the pointed antithesis of the poet the mind is often tempted to exclaim this is all the gain we reap from all the wisdom sown through ages nothing doubted those first sons of time while we this schooled of centuries nothing believe but the complaint is unfounded faith is dearly bought at the cost of knowledge nor in a better sense has it yet gone from among us far more sublime than any known to the barbarian is the faith of the astronomer who spends the nights in marking the seemingly wayward motions of the stars, or of the anatomist who studies with unwearied zeal the minute fibers of the organism, each upheld by the unshaken conviction that from least to greatest throughout this universe, purpose and order everywhere prevail. Natural religions rarely offer more than this negative opposition to reason. They are tolerant to a degree. The savage, void of any clear conception of a supreme deity, sets up no claim that his is the only true church. If he is conquered in battle, he imagines that it is owing to the inferiority of his own gods to those of his victor, and he rarely, therefore, requires any other reasons to make him a convert. Acting on this principle, the Incas, when they overcame a strange province, SENT ITS MOST VENERATED IDOL FOR A TIME TO THE TEMPLE OF THE SUN AT CUZCO, THUS PROVING ITS INFERIORITY TO THEIR OWN DIVINITY, BUT TOOK NO MORE VIOLENT STEPS TO PROPAGATE THEIR CREEDS. SO IN THE CITY OF MEXICO THERE WAS A TEMPLE APPROPRIATED TO THE IDOLS OF CONQUERED NATIONS IN WHICH THEY WERE SHUT UP, BOTH TO PROVE THEIR WEAKNESS AND PREVENT THEM FROM DOING MISCHIEF a nation like an individual was not inclined to patronize a deity who had manifested his incompetence by allowing his charge to be gradually worn away by constant disaster as far as can now be seen in matters intellectual the religions of ancient mexico and peru were far more liberal than that introduced by the spanish conquerors which claiming the monopoly of truth sought to enforce its claim by inquisitions and censorships in this view of the relative powers of deities lay a potent corrective to the doctrine that the fate of man was dependent on the caprices of the gods for no belief was more universal than that which assigned to each individual a guardian spirit this invisible monitor was an ever-present help in trouble he suggested expedients gave advice and warning in dreams protected in danger, and stood ready to foil the machinations of enemies, divine or human. With unlimited faith in this protector, attributing to him the devices suggested by his own quick wits and the fortunate chances of life, the savage escaped the oppressive thought that he was the slave of demoniac forces, and dared the dangers of the forest and the warpath without anxiety. By far the darkest side of such a religion is that which it presents to morality. The religious sense is by no means the voice of conscience. The Takali Indian, when sick, makes a full and free confession of sins, but a murder, however unnatural and unprovoked, he does not mention, not counting it, crime. Scenes of brutal licentiousness were approved and sustained throughout the continent as acts of worship. Maidenhood was in many parts freely offered up or claimed by the priests as a rite. In Central America, twins were slain for religious motives. Human sacrifice was common throughout the tropics and was not unusual in higher latitudes. Cannibalism was often enjoined, and in Peru, Florida, and Central America, it was not uncommon for parents to slay their own children at the behest of a priest. The philosophical moralist contemplating such spectacles has thought to recognize in them one consoling trait. All history, it has been said, shows man living under an irritated God, and seeking to appease him by sacrifice of blood. The essence of all religion, it has been added, lies in that of which sacrifice is the symbol, namely in the offering up of self, in the rendering up of our will to the will of God, but sacrifice when not a token of gratitude cannot be thus explained it is not a rendering up but a substitution of our will for god's will a deity is angered by neglect of his dues he will revenge certainly terribly we know not how or when but as punishment is all he desires if we punish ourselves he will be satisfied And far better is such self-inflicted torture than a fearful looking for of judgment to come. Craven fear, not without some dim sense of the implacability of nature's laws, is at its root. Looking only at this side of religion, the ancient philosopher averred that the gods existed solely in the apprehensions of their votaries, and the moderns have asserted that fear is the father of religion. Love, her late-born daughter, that the first form of religious belief is nothing else but a horror of the unknown, and that no natural religion appears to have been able to develop from a germ within itself anything whatever of real advantage to civilization. Far be it from me to excuse the enormities thus committed under the garb of religion, or to ignore their disastrous consequences on human progress. Yet this question is a fair one. If the natural religious belief has in it no germ of anything better whence comes the manifest and undeniable improvement occasionally witnessed as for example among the Toltecs the Peruvians and the Mayas the reply is by the influence of great men who cultivated within themselves a purer faith lived it in their lives preached it successfully to their fellows and at their death Still survived in the memory of their nation unforgotten models of noble qualities. Where in America is any record of such men? We are pointed in answer to Quetzalcoatl, Viracocha, Zamna, and their congeners. But these august figures I have shown to be wholly mythical creations of the religious fancy, parts and parcels of the earliest religion itself. The entire theory falls to nothing therefore, and we discover a positive side to natural religions, one that conceals a germ of endless progress, which vindicates their lofty origin, and proves that he is not far from every one of us. I have already analyzed these figures under their physical aspect. Let it be observed in what antithesis they stand to most other mythological creations. Let it be remembered that they primarily correspond to the stable, the regular, the cosmical phenomena, that they are always conceived under human form, not as giants, fairies, or strange beasts, that they were said at one time to have been visible leaders of their nations, that they did not suffer death, and that, though absent, they are ever present, favoring those who remain mindful of their precepts i touched but incidentally on their moral aspects this was likewise in contrast to the majority of inferior deities the worship of the latter was a tribute extorted by fear the indian deposits tobacco on the rocks of a rapid that the spirit of the swift waters may not swallow his canoe in a storm he throws overboard a dog to appease the siren of the angry waves he used to tear the hearts from his captives to gain the favor of the god of war he provides himself with talismans to bind hostile deities he fees the conjurer to exercise the demon of disease he loves none of them he respects none of them he only fears their wayward tempers they are to him mysterious invisible capricious goblins but, in his highest divinity, he recognized a father and a preserver, a benign intelligence who provided for him the comforts of life, man like himself, yet a god, God of all. go and do good was the parting injunction of his father to Machabo in algonkin legend, and in their ancient and uncorrupted stories, such is ever his object. The worship of Temu, the culture hero of the Guaranis, says the traveler d'Orbigny, is one of reverence, not of fear. They were ideals, summing up in themselves the best traits, the most approved virtues of whole nations, and were adored in a very different spirit from other divinities. None of them has more humane and elevated traits than Quetzalcoatl. He was represented of majestic stature and dignified demeanor. In his train came skilled artificers, and men of learning. He was chaste and temperate in life, wise in counsel, generous of gifts, conquering rather by arts of peace than of war, delighting in music, flowers, and brilliant colors, and so averse to human sacrifices, that he shut his ears with both hands when they were even mentioned. Such was the ideal man and supreme god of a people who even a Spanish monk of the sixteenth century felt constrained to confess were a good people attached to virtue urbane and simple in social intercourse shunning lies skillful in arts pious toward their gods is it likely is it possible that with such a model as this before their minds they received no benefit from it was not this a lever and a mighty one lifting the race toward civilization and a purer faith End of Section 28 Recording by Pamela Krantz